And look with me, if you would, in Daniel chapter number one, in verse number eight. Look what the Bible says there. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. With the Lord's help this morning, I'd like to preach to you a message that I've entitled, To Be Different, You Must Be Undefiled. To be different, you must be undefiled. Father, we ask for your blessings to be upon our gathering today. Lord, we have already prayed and given this service over to you, but we pause for just a moment before we launch into what you have taught us from this text and what we believe you would have us to emphasize this morning. And we, again, just ask one final time that you would lead us and that you would guide us, not just in the delivery of this message, but I pray even for those who will sit and who will hear it. The Bible commands us to to not just be a hearer, but to be a doer. And I pray, Lord, that through the hearing of this message, that every one of us in this room would determine, determine that we're going to live in this world as undefiled as we possibly can by your power and by your strength and by your spirit. There are so many things that seek to defile us. Help us, Lord, to be vigilant. Help us to be diligent. Help us, to, uh, Lord, to uh, pursue a life that is undefiled, that is pleasing in thy sight. Help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Daniel, of course, is one of the great books containing really some of the greatest stories in all of the Bible. Uh, this, this character that we're introduced to in Daniel chapter number one, he is not just a prophet, but we discover as we learn more about his life that he is also an exile that he is a captive, he's living in a country that is not his own, and he's there not by his own will or by his own choice, but because he has been taken to this place. We'll discover that later in his life, he becomes a president in this particular uh, country, that he is lifted to a position of great authority and great responsibility, that he will be an advisor to great kings and great leaders in, in the world and in the world history, and he's even a dream interpreter. We'll We'll see that about his life. If you study the book of Daniel, you'll find that he is, is the ability that's given him by God to interpret dreams that folks have dreamed. And, and, so, uh, and so this is the life of Daniel. This is the character that we're introduced to here in this first, very first chapter. Now, Daniel had to have been just a very, very young man as the events that are unfolding in Daniel chapter number one take place. And here's why. Because the captivity in which Daniel is being taken captive in lasts 70 years. And we will discover that when it comes to an end and when God's people are allowed to return, Daniel is still alive. So there is every, every reason for us to believe that Daniel is probably just a young adolescent, maybe just in his early teens when the events take place in Daniel chapter number one that we're told of in our text. And when Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem and he eventually captured it, he, he gave command to one of his princes to bring the finest young men from Israel back to Babylon so they could indoctrinate them uh, in, into their culture and into their customs. We learn of that in verses 3 and 4, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Daniel just so happened to be one of these young men, along with three of his friends. They're 
Hebrew names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've often wondered why we think of Daniel and we think of his Hebrew name. We do not think of his Babylonian name. And when we think of his friends, we think of their Babylonian names and not their Hebrew name. I'm not exactly sure why that is or how that happened, but that is uh, sort of the, the way that our minds go. And so here are these four young men who are part of this group that have been selected by this prince to bring back to Babylon that they might learn the, the, the Hebrew, or excuse me, the Babylonian culture and the Babylonian uh, customs and even the Babylonian language. So understand that Nebuchadnezzar has plans for these young men. Uh, his, his plans are that their presence in his land would make a profound difference in their lives. Here's what he did not know, though, that God had plans for these young men in this land as well. God had plans that these young men's presence in this land uh, would not necessarily impact their own lives as much as they would impact Nebuchadnezzar's life and the life of others that were living in this particular kingdom. And I must say that the impact that these boys would make would depend on their ability very early on in their lives to remain undefiled. That's, that's the whole key. Now these, these boys are, are leaving their land and they're moving to a new land, not by their own design, but because they've been taken captive. And God says, hey, don't worry about it. I've got a plan for you in this place, but that plan will only come to fruition so long, so long as you remain more like where you came from than you remain uh, or become like where you're going. In order, in order to be different, listen, in order to be different, you must be undefiled. The impact, again, that they would make would depend on their ability to remain undefiled. I, I want you to know that God has similar plans for your life and for my life as well. Though we are here in this world, we are to be different from this world. You see, Jesus told his followers in Matthew five sixteen, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, let me ask you this question. Who this week, who this week did you let your light shine in front of? Who was it this week who saw your uh, good works and glorified your Father which is in heaven? That's a convicting thought, isn't it? I wonder, I wonder if it's not the case in which we sort of walk into church a little sheepish because we really didn't do a whole lot of good works this week. We didn't, hold, we didn't really let our light shine a whole lot this week. That's a convicting thought. That's a, a, a thought that ought, to, that ought to strike at us. We are to be different in this world. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2.15 uh, that Paul is writing to God's people. says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. You, you understand? Listen, God has given us a responsibility to stand out in this world, not to blend in, but to stand out, to shine as lights in this world. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of whom who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The first chapter of Daniel reveals, I believe it reveals, how to live in Babylon, but not be Babylonian. I believe that's what this particular chapter teaches us. 
how to live in this land called Babylon, but not to appear to be Babylonian. Can I say the struggle? I believe the struggle with American Christianity is how to live in this culture while not, while not wholly embracing this culture and losing our distinctiveness. I'm afraid we're, we're failing in this. I'm afraid, I'm, I'm afraid that American Christianity is really not all that distinct or really not all that different from the world. Can I, can I say this without offending anyone? Here's, here's what I'm saying. Our struggle is how to live in America and not be American. Now, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I love, I love this country. I love our flag and I support this country and I am involved in this country and, and, and what, but I'm, I'm saying, listen, there is a mindset, uh, there is an attitude, there is a spirit that exists in this country that God says, I want you to be different than that. Well, look, we can look back at our heritage and we can look back at our founding and we can say at that time there was a Christian ideal, there was a Christian spirit that existed in this place, but, but you know as well as I do that most of that is long gone. That's in our past, that's in our history. And God, God would have us to live in this land, but not buy into this world, into its system. Uh, to how, how can we live down here and not become, not become what the vast majority of people are down here, which is this defiled by this world and its sinful ways. Daniel chapter number one reveals some truths that I want to pull out of this text, and I, and, and, and I believe that the overall theme is, is this, that to be different, you must be undefiled. And let me just start by, right in the very beginning of this chapter, by revealing a truth that I think is incredibly encouraging and comforting to every one of us in this room. And that truth is this, number one, you must know that the world, the world is only attracted to certain individuals. Now, this jumped off the page at me this week. The world has, only has use for you if you are a certain type. And this is, to me, what is so very, very comforting because God is completely different than that. What I mean by that is we discover in verses 3 and 4 that the world requires natural talent and ability. In order to be useful to them, in order for them to be attracted to you and to who you are as a person, you must have some natural gifting, some natural talent, some natural ability. So here's the question. What does it take to catch the eye of the world? What does it take to be noticed, to be accepted, to be attractive in the world's sight? Well, well we find, I believe, we find that in verses 3 and 4. Nebuchadnezzar, he tells this man by the name of Ashpenaz, he says, I want you to gather certain children from Israel. Look at it in verse number three. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. So number one, number one, he, he wanted these, these young people. They had, to be, they had to be born of a certain line or a certain lineage. Not just any, not just any set of parents would do. No, no, these boys, they have to be of the king's seed. They have to be of the seed of the princes, but he doesn't stop there. Look in verse number four. Children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So Nebuchadnezzar says, here's the, here's, the kind of, here's the kind of children I want you to bring with you. 
I want you to bring certain children. Don't just bring anybody and everybody. Don't just bring anybody you find. No, no, they have to measure up. They have to live this way. They have to be this of this seed, and they have to carry themselves in this way or in, in that way. Notice these children were to be good-looking good and without blemish. Well, guess what? That, that would eliminate maybe many of us. Good-looking without blemish. My soul, I look at the mirror, and I see nothing but blemishes. I, I, I wonder, you know, what happened to that good-looking boy when he was 17? Well, he's never good-looking, I don't suppose, but we all like to think we were, right? And we wonder, we wonder ourselves, you know, listen, if, if the qualifications to be attracted to the world is you've got to look a certain way, well, I'm afraid, I'm afraid that might eliminate a few of us. It just might. You have to have a certain look to be, uh, to be accepted or uh, to be loved or to be attractive to the world. These children would be good-looking without blemish. They had to be capable academically. <laughs> well, I don't even need to talk about that, do I? I was never real capable academically. I sometimes, I sometimes think that maybe, maybe it was more due to just immaturity and a lack of, uh, of, of diligence and, and working really hard. But I never excelled or thrived in a, in a classroom setting. I just didn't. I, I, I know some people, you know, I mean, they just, you know, that just really, you know, uh, it just gets them going. You know, sit in the classroom and to learn and to, and to grow. And, and uh, I was more interested in lunch. I was more interested in recess and, and gym class and, you know, the girls sitting across, across the room as I was the teacher who was standing there trying to get me to look at a map or trying to get me to add some numbers together or, 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 or recite some facts. And, 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 and so these, these young men, they had to be good looking. They had to be of a certain seed. Uh, the Bible says that they had to be capable academically. And then they had to have a presence and a demeanor about them. Uh, they, they, they had to have been, they had to have been sharp and, and, and able to stand in a, in the king's presence and, and to do so with confidence and with, authority and with ability. Well, not everybody's like that. Some, some of you are sort of shy and sort of, sort of bashful. You like to kind of just, you know, slide into a place and slide out without anybody noticing that you're around. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just maybe perhaps your personality. It's how you're wired. It's, 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 it's how you're constructed. It's how maybe God made you. And, and I suppose that maybe you can, you can emerge from that just a little bit, but that's who you are at the end of the day. That's who you are. That's fine. That's fine in some respects, but it's not fine if you're going to be noticed by the world. If you're going to be capable of being used by the, the world, if you're going to make a name for yourself in the world, no, you have to be born to this family and you've got to look a certain way and perhaps have a certain body type and, and you've got to have a, a certain mind and ability to recite facts and to, and, and, and to have lots of knowledge and you've got to be able to, uh, you know, to, to stand in front of people and to be able to present yourself in a sharp and a, and a, and a, and a good way. So, so here's what we discover that, that in order to be accepted by the world, that you must be fast learners, you must be healthy, you must be strong, you must be naturally gifted if you're unattractive, if you have some type of learning disability, if you have some personality disability, maybe you're shy or you're bashful or maybe you're awkward in some way, then you're out. The world has no use for you. The world has no time for these types of individuals. Understand, listen, the world is only interested in those who have some natural talent, some natural gift or natural ability. Maybe, maybe it's um, out on a, on a ball field somewhere. 
And you can run faster than everybody, and you can put that ball in the basket better than anybody else. You can jump higher than everybody, and, and you just have an ability to play the game. Or maybe it's on a soccer field or on a baseball field. But, but listen, the, the vast majority of us in here are not made that way. We just aren't. We, you know, we, we look at the mirror and we find flaws. We, we, we look at our, uh, our, our mental capacity and sometimes we think, well, man, I wish I was smarter than I was. And we, we think about our ability to connect with people and to, and to develop relationship with people and we find ourselves lacking in that area as well. And, and then we think about our, our last name and who it is that we're related to. Well, I win there. I'm a Folger. I always tell people when I... When they call and I'm giving them my information, I said, last name's Folger, just like the coffee. And they, oh, okay. And then they'll ask me, is there any connection? Are you getting any royalties from that? And I said, I haven't seen a dime. I haven't seen a dime. I will tell you, I will tell you, years ago, my fifth grade teacher came to me. And I don't know how she discovered this, but she came to me and she said, Peter, did you know that Benjamin Franklin's mother, her last name, her maiden last name was Folger? Spelled just like yours was. I said, I didn't know that, but I'll be using that for the rest of my life, you know. <laughs> am I related to Benjamin Franklin? I have no idea. I don't know whether I am or not. Could be. Maybe, maybe not. Am I related to the coffee people? I don't know. If I am, I'm not a very good advertisement for them because I don't drink coffee. But I'm just simply saying, listen, maybe we could all trace our, our line you know, back far. We, well, if we all go back far enough, we go back to Adam and Eve. So we do know some fam famous people in our background. We all come from them too. But the truth, the truth of the matter is, is that in the world sight, listen, you, you have to have some natural talent, some natural ability. There must be some name in your background for them to accept you. Everyone else, the rest of us, we go unnoticed some cases unloved and uncared for. Can I tell you that the world today is no different from what it was in Babylon? Hollywood and Madison Avenue and Washington, D.C., today they require a certain look, don't they? They require a certain talent in order to be accepted and to be loved. Everyone else need not apply. So here's the question, where does this leave the rest of us? Because the vast majority of people are not born with royal lineage. They're not, they're, the vast majority of people are born with some blemish. They're born lacking in some area or another. In other words, most of us are normal, but the world has little use or little interest in the normal. Listen, I have great news for you. I have really great news for you. While the world is only interested in certain individuals, there is someone. There is someone who loves you and who has a plan for you. Listen, no matter how you look, no matter who you were born to, and no matter what you can or cannot do, that leads us to the second thought, and that is this, God only requires a pulse and obedience. Isn't that encouraging? In the world sight, you better have some natural talent and some natural ability in order to be used, to be useful, to be attractive to the world. You know what God says? God says, are you breathing? If you're breathing, then I can use you. Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> I don't know about you, that's encouraging to me. Because when I look at my life, I don't see a whole lot of natural talent or natural ability. But last I checked, I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. I got out of bed this morning, and I drove into the church this morning, and I'm standing before you this morning. And if you're sitting here today and you're looking at me, then you're still alive. You have a pulse. And, and therefore, with that pulse, all that is necessary is that you exhibit a spirit of obedience, and God can use you. 
You don't have to have any special talent or ability other than to be alive. That's not a special talent. It's a gift from God, isn't it? You must be willing to obey the Lord and follow him. But listen, that isn't some special talent or ability. Anybody can obey. Anybody can do what they're told. That doesn't require some special talent. That's just simple obedience. If you looked at Nebuchadnezzar's list in verses 3 and 4, and you fear that you don't measure up, can I say there is hope? There is hope. While Nebuchadnezzar was only capable of using the best and brightest, God, God welcomes and delights to use not the best and brightest, but the least and the weakest. According to 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, we are at God's best when we are at our physical worst. Now think about that for a moment. Paul wrote that, didn't he? 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 9, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You, you, might have, you might have stood before the mirror this morning and you thought to yourself, oh my, oh my. You might, have, uh, you might have hobbled out to the car this morning and struggled just to get into your vehicle and you thought to yourself, well, isn't this pathetic? What can I do? You might, have, you, might have, you might have struggled and labored, listen, through every classroom that you ever sat in. And not that you didn't give the effort, not that you didn't try, but it just wasn't happening. It just wasn't there. And you thought to yourself the whole life, why can't I just be like so-and-so? And here's what God wants you to know. God says, hey, listen, don't worry about that. When you're weak, I'm strong. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And, and Paul, that led him to say, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Then he said this in verse number 10, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. That same Apostle Paul would write in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know, you don't have to be extraordinarily gifted. Here's why. Because Christ gives us his strength. Listen, the Bible says in Ephesians 3, 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. You know, why, you know why God doesn't, God doesn't need you to be strong? Because God says, you can't, you can't do the work I've called you to do in your own strength anyways. I have to give you that strength. And I can give you that strength. I can strengthen you in the inner man. The Bible says in Colossians 1.11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Boy, every last one of us need an extra dose of this, don't we? We need the strength that comes from God above. Too many times, too many times we're functioning in our own strength, in our own power, in our own ability. And can I tell you, it's never sufficient. But if you'll begin to function in Christ's strength and in his power and his ability, oh, he, you can do anything that he's called you to do. The world is only interested in you if you have natural talent and natural abilities. However, God cares for and God can use anyone alive today so long, so long as they obey him, submit themselves to him, and allow him to use them. Number two, I want you to notice the second thought as we continue our journey through this chapter is this. Number, number two is this. The choice to live undefiled is blessed by God. We discover that in verses 5 through 15. Upon arriving in Babylon, 
these certain children learned that they would be appointed specific provisions each day. And here would there be, be their provisions. They would enjoy a provision of the king's meat and of the king's wine. They would be enrolled in a three-year program of indoctrination into Babylonian custom and culture before each of them would have an opportunity at the end of this three-year period to appear before the king, to stand before the king, because that's what this is all about. You're going to stand before the king. He's going to ask you questions. He's probably going to quiz you, some form of oral examination. And depending on how you do, depends on where you're going to go from that point on. You can be at the certain, certain that at the end of this three-year period, there's going to be another decision that is made by the king regarding who excelled the most in this program. And, and here's, what I, here's what I want you to know. The world is always judging people and eliminating those who don't measure up. Always. I'm thinking to myself, you know, as a, as a young boy, I, I remember playing um, sports when I was in elementary school. I played in the YMCA. I played intramural type stuff. And, and, I, and I did okay then. I did okay. I, I remember playing YMCA football. We played flag football when I was a boy. And I remember scoring a touchdown one day. And I took the football and I spiked it because that's what they do on TV. You know, when you score a touchdown, you spike the football and, you, and they flagged me for it. They gave me a penalty. True story. I, I, I guess I'm not allowed to spike the football and flag football in the YMCA, you know. And you can be certain that was the last spike that I ever did, not because I learned my lesson, because I never got in the end zone again, you know. That was the, that was the end of that. But as I got, as I got older, I noticed, I noticed that there was, there was always a, a new standard that you had to reach for. As you got older, the kids got taller, and they got bigger, and they got stronger, and they got faster. As you got older, the kids got, got smarter and more capable academically, and, and, uh, and, and, they, and they grew and they developed in some way or in some fashion or in some form. And I'm thinking to myself, here are these boys, and they're chosen at this young age, but you, you know this. At the end of the three-year period, they're going to stand before the king, and there's going to be another decision. There's going to be another choosing that is made. How are they going to measure up? And I'm just simply saying, listen, the world is always judging. And the world is always eliminating. You, you may have found some success as a young person, and now you're sitting here as an adult, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I wish I could get back in touch with that because I just feel like I don't measure up in this world. Or vice versa, maybe you struggled as a young person, and now you're finding some success as an adult. And, uh, and, and yet all of that, listen, all of that can be fleeting, can it? But notice, notice a couple of things about Daniel and his choice to live undefiled. Notice, notice the first thing Daniel did was he refused the world's daily portion. He refused the world's daily portion. The Bible tells us that in verse number eight. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion, the portion, the portion that came from the world. It was the king's meat and the wine which the king drank. Now we don't know how many were led into this captivity by this man named Ashpenaz. But we do know that Daniel and his three friends seem to have been the only ones to have made this particular determination or this particular decision that they were not going to eat the portion of the king's meat nor drink the portion of the king's wine. The others, the others that were taken from the land of Israel, the others seemed to have been content eating the king's meat and drinking his wine, just doing what, what they had to do in order uh, to skate by here in this new culture, in this new land. The common thinking is that while the Bible never tells us exactly why Daniel did what he did, the, the common belief, belief is that Daniel viewed these provisions as being a form of idolatry. It was well known that in ancient, ancient times, food was offered to idols before being served to humans for their own nourishment and consumption. 
And so maybe Daniel, Daniel said, you know, I don't want to be involved in this form of idolatry. If this has been offered unto idols, as is, as is commonly done in these heathen and pagan lands, then I don't feel like I can eat that with a clear conscience. It is also possible that it really didn't have anything to do with idolatry, that, that maybe it was, he refused this meat because uh, it violated the law of Moses in some way or another. Perhaps maybe this was a form of pork in which the Jews would have, uh, would have read in the law and said, we can't have that. Or maybe it was not prepared in a kosher way. Maybe it was, uh, it was still somewhat raw and the blood was oozing out of it. And he felt like, I, I cannot eat that and be right in the sight of God as far as the law of God is concerned. Well, we don't exactly know why Daniel refused this portion. But we do know that he, that he did refuse it. That he said, I cannot be involved in this. And I want you to notice that Daniel made this decision, and the Bible is very specific in verse number eight, that he did this, he made this decision first in his heart. That decision started in the heart. You know, you can get a lot of people uh, to conform to what you want them to do. I want you to know something, it'll never be real. It'll never be real until it's in someone's heart. Until they're, they're doing it because they're convinced, they believe that this is what God has for them. They're convinced in their heart that this is the right thing to do. And we find that sometimes in a church setting like this. Children, young people being raised here. And they do all of the things that we believe the Bible teaches for a period of time. And then they reach an age. They reach an age when no one is now hovering over them. No parents are making them do certain things, making them behave in a certain way. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the things that they did for 16, 17, 18, 20, 25 years even, all of a sudden, those things they no longer do. Here's why. Because they never did those things from the heart. They did those things because, well, I, I need to be conformed. I need to blend in. I need to be like everyone else. But they never got a hold of these things in their heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Daniel made this decision, and it started, listen, in his heart. Daniel was not arrogant in his approach to this decision. We don't ever find them exhibiting an attitude of superiority or pride uh, as, to, as to, well, I'm, I'm the one who's not eating this. You all are eating the king's meat and drinking his wine. Look at me. I'm not eating any of those things. I don't ever see that in Daniel's life. Now, to be sure, this is an overview. But knowing Daniel the way that we do, we have a hard time imagining that he would have developed a, an attitude of, of pride or superiority. And yet sometimes don't we have that in our lives? I go to church every Sunday. <laughs> I, I come back on Sunday night, beat that. I'll be here on Wednesday night. I carry a King James Bible. I read it every morning. When I came to church, I dressed up and I looked really nice. Well, look at me. You know what? Sometimes we have an attitude of superiority over the things that we do. You know, I, 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 I give every Sunday. I put a tithe in the offering box, or I give online. I, I have a certain hairstyle. I, I, don't, I don't look like the world. I don't talk like the world. I don't act like the world. That, that wasn't the way Daniel comported himself. No, Daniel, uh, Daniel made this decision in his heart, and he stuck with this decision regardless of what anybody else did. We don't find him lording over those who didn't do what he did. D.L. Moody once said it this way. He said, a holy life will make the deepest impression he said, lighthouses blow no horns, they just shine. I like that, don't you? Now, that's what we're to be. We're to let our light shine. We're to be lighthouses. 
Lighthouses are not known for blowing horns or making a lot of noise. They're just known for sending out a light. Hey, there's a light over there. There must be land nearby. We also see Daniel gently explaining his stand to the lost or the heathen, telling them why he has chosen this and asking for their help in its implementation. We read of that in verses 8 through 14. So understand, Daniel is humble in every way. Often we take the right stand, but we do it with the wrong spirit, don't we? And may God convict us about this if it's present in our lives. Thinking of ourselves, well, I'm better than everybody else because I go to a certain church or because I dress a certain way or because I have a certain hairstyle or because I gave this much money to the church or because I do these good works. Listen, not, there's not a single one of us that aren't sinners who've been saved by God's amazing grace. And may we always be reminded of that. That's who we are. Often we take the right stand, but we do it with the wrong spirit. Daniel not only had the right stand, he did the right thing. He chose not to be defiled, and he did it from his heart. But he did it, listen, he did it with the right spirit. But notice we see not only Daniel here taking the stand and the decision that he made, refusing the world's portion, but notice, secondly, God blessed Daniel, didn't he? God blessed Daniel and his friends for their stand. Would you look in verse number 15? So they agreed to a 10-day period a 10-day period, you, you, eat, you eat this instead of eating the daily portion that comes from the world, and we'll see, we'll see whether it's sufficient. And Look at the, the Bible says, verse number 15, and at the end of 10 days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Now, I got to thinking, you know, 10 days is really not a sufficient sample size usually, isn't it? I mean, really is that you do something for 10 days and, and it's a little bit unreasonable for you to expect to see results right away. You know, over time, I've done different things to try to address my physical appearance. And I often think about the idea of trying to be a little bit fit, more physically healthy. Maybe it's in, it's in exercising or it's in dieting or whatever the case might be. And uh, you do something for 10 days, and, and, uh, and, and you know, at the end of 10 days, if you start walking every day for a mile a day, at the end of 10 days, you're not ready to run a marathon, are you? No, you're just getting started, right? The end of 10 days of watching what you're eating and what you're putting into your body, maybe you're starting to feel a little bit better, but just, you still sort of look like, well, there's a long ways to go, typically. But here, here at the end of this 10 days, this this insufficient sample size, this man by the name of Melzar, who's responsible for enforcing the rules of the king on these boys, he notices an immediate difference, a difference that is so vast and so great that Melzar says, hey, listen, I'm satisfied to allow you to continue down this path for the remaining rest of the three years before they stand before the king. Melzar made this determination based upon their outward appearance but can I say that, listen, listen, the outward appearance was affected, but understand this was a decision that came from the heart. This was a heart decision first and foremost. Daniel didn't make this decision in order to be fairer and fatter outwardly. That's not what Daniel had in mind. Daniel was not sitting here saying, okay, if I refuse the king's meat, and if I refuse the king's, I can, I can trim a few inches off of this waist. That's not what was it in his mind. Daniel's not sitting here saying, if I refuse the king's meat, well, then I can run faster than everybody else, and, and I can outlast everyone else, and, and I, can be, I, I can be healthier. So that, it had nothing to do with physical health. It had everything to do with spiritual health, didn't it? That's what this is all about. Now, let me, let me try to make this connection. Daniel decided that in order to be right in his heart toward God, he needed to do this. 
And can I say that I believe it is true that a heart right with God often reveals itself in an outward way. I believe that with all of my heart. That when someone is, is truly right with God and they're walking with God day by day by day, it will be revealed in an outward, physical, visible manifestation. It'll be tangible. You can see it. You can know it. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean by that. We, we might say that believers, believers have a certain look about them, don't they? Have you ever been in a public place and you know, you're, you're a Christian, you go to church every Sunday, and you see somebody else that appears to be Christian. My wife, sometimes she'll nudge, she goes, I'll bet they're Christians. Now, how does she know that? How does she know that? Well, there's just a way that they, you know, the way that they deal with themselves, the way they carry themselves. That may not always be the case. The Bible talks about our spirit bearing witness with their spirit. Maybe as they sit at a table to eat, maybe before they, they consume the food in front of them, they have a time of prayer. Maybe they're dressed in a certain way. Maybe they just look a certain way. Here's the look I'm talking about. Believers often have a pure, a wholesome, an innocent, or even a healthy look about them. Here's what I've discovered. I've discovered this. Much of the world's sinful activities does untold damage to our bodies physically. You know this, don't you? Someone who has given themselves completely to alcohol or to drugs or to some wicked, awful lifestyle in which there's an addiction that they're dealing with in some way, oftentimes you can see it, can't you? They don't have to tell you about it. You can see it in the way that they carry themselves, in the, in, in the way that they appear. The, the, listen, sin, you, you should know this. Sin and sinful activities, it does untold damage to our bodies physically, and that do, listen, that does not include what it does to our soul and to our mind. Holy living... Holy living does just the opposite. It truly does. Your body, listen, is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And one way to maintain that temple is by living a holy life pleasing to the Lord. Some of you, you've tried, you've tried everything you know. And you're taking a magic pill that's going to help you lose 50 pounds if you take it every day. And I'm thinking to myself, but if you keep eating that cupcake, you're not losing those 50 pounds. Some, some of us, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to find a new hairdresser and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to get on a treadmill more consistently. And, and, uh, and, and, and I'm just simply saying, you know, I, I, listen, it's not going to do away with all your problems. Why don't you try holy living? <laughs> Why don't you get right with God? See, if that doesn't help you sleep better at night. Now, see, if that doesn't help you to pillow your head at night with a spirit of, listen, I've done everything that I know that God has given me to do today. Why don't you walk with the Lord? I'm not saying that walking with the Lord is some magic thing either, but I'm just simply saying, listen, believers, they have an appearance about them. You, you, you sin freely and you live a lifestyle that is not pleasing to the Lord and it will reveal itself in an outward physical way. But you walk with God and you maintain this temple, this, this vessel that God has given to you. You yield it to the Lord and you say, this is not mine to abuse and to do whatever I want to with it. But Lord, this is yours. Lord, help me to keep this under control and help me to be disciplined in all of my ways. And I believe, I believe God blesses that. Thirdly and lastly, we discover that undefiled people are distinct in a defiled world. Undefiled people are distinct in a defiled world. Notice, first of all, their distinction is God-given. Let's look in verse number 17. As for these four children, God, God gave them. God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. 
And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. I used to pray this prayer, and this is no joke. I used to pray a prayer. I'd come into class, and I had forgotten that we were going to have a quiz or that we were going to have a, a test. I had not studied for it, and I would pray as the teacher was passing out the paper. Lord, help me to recall the things I did not study. <laughs> Never one time did that work. But here's what, here's, here's what I believed. I believe God is great. And if he wanted to, he could. there were even times, there were even times when I turned that quiz or that test in and I thought to myself, Lord, there's some blanks on that thing. And Lord, would you just take your magic little pen or pencil and would you write in what is supposed to be there? He never did that either. Can you believe it? Not one time. But here's what I do believe. I do believe God gives wisdom. I believe he gives knowledge. I believe that God has the ability to take a man, to take a woman, and set them apart. God has the ability, listen, to give them things, distinction, ability, strength that they do not have in and of themselves. God gave these young men favor and blessing. He gave them a supernatural ability to learn and to grow academically. And he even gifted Daniel, the Bible says, he gifted Daniel above what he had gifted the other three. Maybe it's because Daniel led the way in this effort but he gave Daniel the ability to understand visions and dreams. And by the way, by the way, this would, come, this would come to bless them in the very next chapter. Because without this ability to understand visions and dreams, they would have all died in chapter number two. I want to say this. When a man determines to be undefiled in this world, there is no limit. There is no limit to what God can do with him or her. The Bible says in James 4, verse number 6, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Verse number 10 in that same chapter, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and what will happen? He shall lift you up. The Bible also says in 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. I, I, think, we've, I think we see visible evidence of this truth. That as Daniel and his three friends, it's the Lord, we just want to be right with you. We're not trying to be better than anybody else. We're not trying to lift our selves up or make make anything about us we're, we're just trying to be faithful to you and god said listen because you've humbled yourself in this way and because you've yielded yourself to me in this way i'm going to lift you up that's exactly what what happened you see we not we see not only that the distinction is god given but notice secondly their distinction was acknowledged by the king would you look in verses 19 and 20 and the king communed with them and among them all was found none like daniel hananiah mishael and azariah Therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. I think to myself, what was different? What made these boys distinct? These four had chosen to be different and undefiled, and that's what made them unique from all the others. I mean, think about what they had in common with the other children, certain children that were taken at the beginning of this chapter. They had the same nationality and heritage, didn't they? They were all Jewish young men coming from Judea, from Jerusalem. They had the same education and training, didn't they? I mean, they sat in the same classrooms, most likely had the same teachers, same curriculum, same textbooks. They had been through the same traumatic things. They had been taken away from their families. 
Perhaps as they were being taken captive, they watched as their mom and dad were arrested. Maybe even their mom and dad were tortured, maybe even killed. All of these young boys that were taken in the beginning of this chapter, they'd seen all the same thing. They had walked together, maybe bound in their hands, walking that long journey from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. They'd been through the same things, and yet, and yet, these four, at the end of the three years, these four are different. They're distinct. In fact, the Bible says that not just better, they're ten times better. What made the difference? The difference, listen, does not simply exist in the minds of those who are superior. In other words, Daniel and his three friends are sitting here saying, we think we're ten times better than you. Sometimes we have that, don't we? We think we're 10 times better. Maybe we're 10 times worse. The Pharisees, didn't they, during Jesus' day, they thought they were 10 times better than everybody else. They looked down their nose at everyone else, and Jesus came along, and Jesus called them a generation of vipers. Jesus called them the sons of hell. And yet in their minds, they had a feeling, an attitude of superiority. So listen, listen, this difference, this distinction did not just exist in the minds of Daniel and his three friends. No, no, this distinction was acknowledged by the king. This distinction was acknowledged by anyone who came into contact with this group. Uh, It's not the result of some of superior abilities or gifting. This distinction was due to a decision to live life at a higher level, to know God's law and to live by God's law, to be undefiled. And we all know, don't we? We all know. In the coming chapters, the book of Daniel, we know the story of the fiery furnace. And we know the story of the lion's den. And here's what I'm going to propose to you this morning. There would be no fiery furnace and there would be no lion's den if there's not a decision in chapter number one to live life undefiled. It starts here. It starts here. God, listen, God, God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. But that plan, listen, that plan cannot begin. It cannot begin until, until we yield our lives to the Lord and we make the decision that he would want us and have us to make. So what is that decision for you this morning? And in, order, in, other, in other words, get, to get God's plan rolling in your life, what's the next step? For some of you, the next step is salvation. It's really the first step. God's been at work in your life. He's been dealing with you. And you understand, you understand that if you were to go out and do eternity today, you know that you would not spend eternity in a place called heaven. Or perhaps maybe you don't know that, but you're not certain about it. And you're concerned? There's some level of doubt as it relates to your eternal destiny. What does God want you to do today? What decision does God want you to make today that will make a difference in your life and the lives of those around you? God would say this, be saved. Repent of your sin. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. That's the decision you need to make. For some of you, you are saved. You are born again. But you've not really been living in an undefiled way. You have allowed the world, you have allowed the world to come into your life and to defile you and to tarnish you and to dirty you up just a little bit. And God is speaking to your heart and he's saying, turn from that sin. Turn from that wickedness. Turn from it. Never return to it again. Look to me and live and be different. Don't be defiled any longer by those things. So what is it? What is it that God would have you to do? For some of you, maybe it's a decision, a specific decision you need to make. Some of you, you've been saved, but you've never been scripturally baptized. You've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, and you know God is saying, that's a decision you need to make. That's the next step for you. 
Some of you, it's to serve in a greater way. Some of you, it's to get more faithful. It's to read your Bible more consistently, to give more consistently. I don't know what it is, but I know this. In order to be different, you must be undefiled. The sin, the sin that inhabits our hearts and our lives is what defiles us. And every step that we take closer to God is turning further and further from that sin that is behind us. And in order to be different, for this church to be different in this community, for you to be different in your neighborhood and your workplace, you must be undefiled.